0: Well, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to talk about the nature of your relationship with Jesus. If, if you have a relationship with Jesus, um, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian, we're going to talk about what sort of relationship you have. And I'm glad you're here because uh, that'll give us an opportunity to do it. If you do not consider yourself, if you're kind of still trying to figure out what it is you think about Jesus, that's even better because you're going to find out what is the basis that Christians have, what is the relationship that they have, with Jesus and what is the basis of that relationship? So that's what we're going to talk about today. What is our relationship with Jesus? And it may seem strange that that that's something that I'm saying. Oh, good, we get to do that today because you'd think that might be what we do every every uh, day. But actually, in in fact, we believe that Christianity is very practical, and most of the time we spend we spend um, pretty far down in the weeds, actually looking at what are the implications of our faith. How does it how does it help us to to uh, uh, Work out uh, the things that Christ is is doing us and uh, doing in us and calling us to do. Um, so, so we spend a lot of time on the practical matters of our faith. We believe that that Christianity is a practical faith. That that um, uh, our mission as a church is to help people trust Jesus for a better life, not an easier life, but a better life. And we believe that by putting our faith into practice, we actually do have a better life. So that's that's our mission as a church. It's what we're trying to achieve. And normally we spend a lot of time looking at those practical matters. But uh, today and as part of this series, we've been looking at kind of the, the big picture. What is, what is the big idea uh, behind our faith? And um, what, we've, what we've done is we've, we've come up with a framework, uh, a five-part framework. I'm going to test people who've been here um, to see if they remember what the five-part framework is. We're going to talk about the roadmap, kind of the big picture. What is, what is the big idea, the framework we use to understand those, all those practical things in our faith? So um, does anyone remember our framework? All right, I won't put you on the spot. We have a five-part framework, right? So it's it's creation, covenant, kingdom, new covenant, and new creation. That the different things we we learn in the scriptures, the things that we, we put into practice as Christians fall into one of those five categories. And so we're talking today about the new covenant. Now, we began talking about creation. The idea of creation is that Everything um, that exists came from God. God made everything there is, and everything that God made is good. And yet, we don't have to look very hard to realize that something has gone wrong, that, that something has gone wrong with creation. And that brings us to our second idea, which is the idea of covenant. And we talked about that, and we said that the covenant that God makes with us promises. In that covenant, God makes a commitment I will not abandon this project. I'm not just going to wad it up and, and go away in you know frustration. I'm not going to say, well, my problem was with this one, but I now know how to do it better, so version 2.0 will be a lot better. God says, no, I'm going to repair everything that's wrong with this creation. And that's good news for us because we're part of creation. We're part of the thing that God made, and uh, sometimes we're part of what's wrong with creation. So that's something else that uh, we've, we've looked at. Then we talked about king. We talked about how Jesus Jesus is is the mechanism by which um God is going to do that. The, the 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 big idea we talked about there was that for centuries Christians have been praying a prayer that says um thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't even know all the things that are wrong with with creation. I don't know all the things that are wrong with me, but I know that if this world were like heaven, if God's will were in 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 effect here, the way it is in heaven, then all those things would be solved. So I've been praying, Christians have been praying for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we've been looking at with the idea of kingdom. And we saw that the kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. So that's what we were looking at uh, before. And today we're going to talk about the new covenant, because Jesus said we could be part of that kingdom. We don't have to wait until until we die to go to heaven in order to experience life in God's kingdom. Jesus came to announce the availability, the present availability of the kingdom of God. And so, um, if we are in a relationship with Jesus, if we enter into His kingdom now on this side of the grave, then we need to understand what are the terms, what are the conditions, what what are the rules in the new. In the new kingdom, and that's what we're gonna. In this kingdom we're in, and so that's what we're gonna talk about today. the the new The new covenant, and um, next week we'll we'll wrap it up by talking about the new creation. That gets us back to where we, where we, um, where we wanted to start at. But um, but the problem with talking about the new covenant is we don't have as good of an understanding as we ought to of the original covenant. Um, if we were in the first century audience, that that are. Uh, new testament scriptures addresses they would have understood completely what what is meant by the original covenant Um, they would have they would have said yeah we grew up with that there's 613 rules there's 248 do's there's 365 don'ts and i've been hearing about them my whole life i know all about the requirements when we talk about the covenant today we tend to emphasize god's promise i won't Walk away. I'm, I'm committed to this project. I'm going to make things better. But every, every, every covenant has two parties and they would have known what their side of the covenant required. We heard about that in Exodus 24, that, that really frankly weird ceremony that we heard about when Moses comes down with those rules. He's got the 613 rules and the people say, we will obey them. And so they say, have this, This ritual where they, they kill a lot of bulls and they gather up some of the blood and they put some of it on the altar and they put the rest of it on the people. And maybe you didn't remember that passage of scripture. And I admit it's not one we used to read to the kids ourselves. You know, I'm trying to picture, you know, the the nightmares. Um, so, so, um, it's not, it's not a, a part of the, the Hebrew scriptures that we're super familiar with. Um, but it's right there. And that's what they would have understood. When you talk about the original covenant, they would have said, yes, God has made some promises. God's not going to give up on us. But at the same time, we are committed to do some things, too. We must obey those 613 rules. So that's the place that they would have they would have come from. They would have said, um, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. And then Moses does the thing with the blood. And he says, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you, that every covenant has to be sealed in blood. And so... If you've ever been in that situation, you've been reading the, the Bible. You know, how many people have ever attempted to read the Bible straight through? Just out of curiosity, how many people ever tried that, right? Uh, I won't ask how far you've got, because what most people do is they get somewhere into Exodus. Um, may, maybe they're in Exodus, maybe they're in Leviticus. But at some point, they, they come across a rule that says you can't have a tattoo, you can't have a cheeseburger, you can't wear a polycotton blend, you can't have a mule, because that would involve breeding a horse with a, with a donkey. There's all these rules, and you just kind of go, what am I supposed to make? Uh, That one's particularly, the mule one's pretty interesting because we read later on in the Book of Kings that a lot of kings had mules. And so where did they get them? You know, they bought them from somebody who was exempt, I guess. So anyway, um, there's all these rules, and you just go, "What what do I make of all these rules? You know, can I not have a cheeseburger? Can I not have a polycotton blend in my shirt? You know, what's up with these rules? Do they apply to me? Am I expected to obey those rules? And the answer is it depends. It depends on your relationship with Jesus. And that's why we're going to talk about this as our as our discussion of the, of the New Commandment. And the answer, the short answer, if you have to leave early, is if you are in a relationship with Jesus, if you are part of the kingdom um, whose king is Jesus, then no, you are exempt from all those rules. The only rule, the only rule that applies to you is the law of love. The one we heard from John 11... Uh, John 13 where Jesus says I give you a new commandment you're familiar with the 613 ones that your ancestors committed to obey and you're kind of not so hot at you know about all those but I give you a new commandment love each other just as I have loved you you love each other so that's the commandment that Jesus gave in lieu of as as a new covenant as part of this new covenant and that leads us to the question, can he do that? Is Jesus allowed to do that? How, how can Jesus just take this thing? I mean, you know, in my Bible, the new covenant's about an inch. You know, that's like, can you just do that? Does Jesus get to just say, no, don't worry about that? How can Jesus simply say, that doesn't count for you? Does Jesus just overturn the old covenant? Well, as we're going to see in the book of Hebrews... Jesus doesn't overturn the um, Old Covenant. What Jesus does is he fulfills it. So let's go ahead and take a look at the passage we heard from um, uh, the letter to the Hebrews. It's probably not actually a letter. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know, um, we don't know the original audience. It's addressed to Hebrews. And the reason is because he does a lot of um, citation of the Hebrew scriptures. But we don't really know the circumstances in the life of the church when it was first written. So it's called a letter. It may be a letter. Um, and in it he says, he says, um, he's he spent the previous eight chapters, uh seven chapters, telling us how Jesus is a high priest. So he says, Jesus is our high priest. What is a high priest? A high priest is the person who goes into the temple on the holy day and offers a sacrifice. He says that the, the thing that we heard, Moses, the, the business with the blood and the, the bulls and all that that there was a particular sacrifice that had to be offered once a year. And the person who did that was not just any old priest, not just any old Levite. He was the high priest. And he spent the last seven chapters telling us how Jesus is a better high priest, that Jesus is a superior high priest. He's a -a one-of-a-kind high priest. And he says, Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So he says, Jesus is doing something totally new. This is where we get the language of a new covenant. Jesus has changed things for the better. So, so you look at those words. He says, a, a, a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. He is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant based on better promises. How can that be? He says, well, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. What does he mean by that? Was there something wrong with the first covenant? No, but it's like this. If I go to the store, if I go down to uh, to one of the dealers and I buy a new car, and then I take it out on the road and it doesn't fly, that doesn't mean it's a bad car. It just means it's not a good airplane, right? Cars aren't expected to fly, so there's nothing wrong with my car. But it is faultless because when I put down that money, I'm, I'm looking for perfection. I'm looking for the perfect vehicle. I want a car that flies. I want a car that goes underwater. All right, I want, you know, and, you know... Never has to be refueled. I have a perfect car in my mind. And, and any car that I've ever bumped into is not that car. So he says, he says that the first covenant is, is faultless because it's not perfect. That there is a perfect covenant coming down the road later. We're gonna to come to that. But in the meantime, that first covenant wasn't everything we might have hoped for in a covenant. It's not that it was wrong, it was just incomplete. And he says there would have been no need. Uh, other translations say there would have been no room. There wouldn't have been anything to want if the first covenant had been perfect. But it wasn't perfect. It did its job, but it didn't do everything we might want from a covenant. So he says, he says if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need, no room for a second covenant to replace it. But then he says um, when God found fault with the people, um, God said this. Uh, when, when When the people didn 't do their half, the thing that they promised to right before Moses splattered them, um, uh, they didn 't do that thing, and so when God found fault with them, he said he said, um, "I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts um, i will I will take those six hundred and thirteen laws I will take the import of those six hundred and thirteen laws. I will put what they were meant to accomplish inside you so you 're no longer checking to see did I do it right." He says that is the new covenant that's coming, and then he concludes saying, "When God said, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means He's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. And that is the reason we say there is only one law. You, you can you can go ahead and have a tattoo. You can go ahead and have a cheeseburger, or you cannot. You don't have to do it, and you don't have to not do it. You can do what you want because Christians are radically free. You have some." freedom in Christ. Now let me let me make two caveats here because I want to make sure that I'm understood here. So the first caveat is this. This is an announcement. This is not denouncing. This is announcing. This is, this is the writer of Hebrews is himself a Christian Jew. So he's in the first century. He's part of that first group of Christians who were Jewish by ancestry. And he is not critiquing Jews. He is announcing to Jews this is something we've always been looking forward to ever since the time of Jeremiah, we have awaited this day, and I am announcing to you that it is here. And I think those of us who don't share Jewish ancestry need to be particularly um, uh, careful about how we communicate that. This is not saying those Jews are wrong. It's saying what the Jews have always hoped for is now available in Christ. So it's not it's not a denunciation. It is an announcement. So Jesus, Jesus has not got a problem with Jews. So, um, and I think on this side of the Holocaust, we need to particularly be careful about that. The second thing is, he says that the covenant is obsolete. The covenant is obsolete. He does not say the uh, Hebrew scriptures are obsolete. Um, uh, in fact, uh, the apostle uh, Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And when it says something about cheeseburgers or tattoos or polycotton blends or mules, that's useful to know, right? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure how it's useful, but maybe you're in a cheeseburger store. I don't know. Um, it's useful to know, but it is not a requirement. It is no longer the covenant that the people who are in God's kingdom are governed by. So those are two covenants. So the idea here is that Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant. He has not overturned it. He's fulfilled it. How many of you remember these? They were in the news about 10 years ago. Remember CDOs? Collateralized debt obligations? The, the, uh, financial crisis of 2007, 2008. There, there were, there was this time, we used to get a, le- you know, right now I rent, but, but back in the day, we used to have a mortgage, and about every six or eight months, we'd get a letter in the mail from some mortgage company, Acme Capital or something like this, and they would tell us they had bought our mortgage. That, that they had purchased it from the previous owner and they were putting it into one of these CDOs or something like that. They were putting it into this bucket of other mortgages, you know, a you know ten million dollar mortgage bucket or whatever. And and we would get this letter and it'd say, nothing has changed, but we bought your mortgage. That's that's kind of the way mortgages work here on earth. Nobody nobody writes this letter and sends us something says, and now you have a higher interest rate or anything like that. That wouldn't they can't do that. That's not in the terms. But in a way, that's what Jesus did. Jesus bought our mortgage. And he sent us a letter that said, those 613 rules, tell you what, don't even worry about those. I'll take care of those. Jesus has bought our mortgage. And he's sending us a letter that says, no, this time everything did change. You're not going to pay the same rate. You're not going to have the same obligations. You have one obligation, which is to love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you think that's easier, well... Give it a try, you know ask the people around you how well you 're doing right because because maybe your understanding is deficient. Jesus is talking about uh, um, a take the bottom place. Jesus is talking about uh, uh, washing feet. Jesus is talking about dying on a cross that 's the kind of love he 's talking about he 's not saying it 's easier, but Lord knows it is certainly simpler. Jesus is saying this is the rule, and everything else in the in the old covenant is Informational, and there's actually a debate. I will, I will admit, there's a debate. Uh, theologians have have argued over whether there is some part, parts of the law that still apply. They talk about things like the um, uh, "thou shalt not kill," uh, "thou shalt not um, uh, commit adultery," and uh, what I would say is I would just roll those in. You know, the the balance of the argument in, in my reading is I would just roll those into the law of love. If you can figure out a way to murder somebody with love, then you know. Come back to me because I I don't know how you could possibly do that. But, but, um, but if you can love the law of love, Jesus says, this is the new commandment I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the commandment that he provides to us. So, let me, let me, um, give one more example so you know I'm sincere. This is, this is October, which means it's tithing season, right? You're going to hear stewardship sermons at some point. You know that's bound to happen. Tithing an example of that. Sometimes you go to a church and they say, you know what? The law requirement to tithe to the church was never rescinded. It absolutely was rescinded. Jesus gave us one commandment to love one another. The reason we receive an offering, the offering that I spoke about earlier, the reason we do that is because we know that there's 30,000 people in our community and at least 10,000 of them have no faith commitment of any kind whatsoever. And we believe that like us, their lives would be better if they knew Jesus. And so we give to provide a place where they can hear the good news that God loves them and so that they can be encouraged as they go about living out the, the practical matters of their faith. That's the reason we receive an offering. But don't let somebody tell you you're required to because you're not required to. There is no requirement that you tithe to the church. And that's probably a good news because my guess is, is a lot of you are saying, you know, it's a good thing that we don't have to because we don't. And you don't. Uh, that you don't have to tithe and don't let somebody tell you you have to. But you should ask yourself, what does love require? How can I love my neighbors? How can I love my coworkers? How can I love my siblings, my spouse? How can I love my kids and my grandkids? One of the ways I can love them is by making sure they have a place where they can hear the good news about Jesus and put it into practice and be encouraged along the way. So tithing is a practical example of the new covenant. There is no requirement for people to tithe and I'll conclude this way Jesus is very smart he knew that Christians would be tempted to smuggle the the law back into Christianity that there'd be pastors like me who said oh you know we're facing a budget deficit um we aren't right now you know by God's grace but they would say you know I know a way to motivate people to give to the church and that's by bringing the law back in Jesus knew that people would be tempted to do that. And trust me, pastors are not the only one. Okay, Most Christians with a heartbeat are tempted to bring the the law back in because the law is easier than loving people. It's a lot easier to not murder someone than to love them. (laughs) You probably got a picture in your head of exactly the person. right? It It is a lot easier to obey the law than it is to love. And Jesus knew we would be tempted... To retreat back to the law. We would say, look, I didn't murder him. You know, I didn't murder him. I, I obeyed the law. And Jesus said, I know that, I know the human heart and I know how tempted you're going to be to go back to the law. And so he said, I want you on a regular basis to remind yourself about the new covenant, the new covenant that was not made with heifer's blood, but with my blood. And so, we read these words through Paul. Paul tells us that I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We'll transition now into our communion service. Let me invite you to stand as you're able and join in singing our communion hymn.